0: We are uh, doing our ironworks this morning on leadership. It's leadership part two. If you missed the last one, you might want to, uh, you know, uh, download it online and kind of get caught up. But let me, uh, in just a minute, I'll give you a little bit of a review and then we'll pick up uh, where we last left off. But um, Leonard Ravenhill tells about a group of tourists who are visiting a, you know, picturesque village who walked by an old man that was sitting by a fence. And one of the tourists, um, rather patronizing kind of a way, the tourist asked, were there any ma- great men born in this village? And the old man replied, nope, only babies. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I like that. Uh, you know, a frothy question brought a profound answer. Uh, and, um, and it's true, you know, great men were not always born that way, but um, I believe the, the men that God uses are often developed and, um, and there's a characteristic that uh, I've noticed, and that is um, a man who's willing to lead, oftentimes the Lord will put him in a place of leadership. Um, the man that's willing to just hang back uh, and do nothing, then the Lord will allow that too. It's, it's amazing how we've been given this free will to sort of use the talents and giftings or not. Uh, to use what we have in front of us or not use what we have in front of us. And and oftentimes that's the the problem. So I'd like to kind of review just a little bit. Last week we talked about um, Jesus. We went to the ultimate leader. We started with Jesus. And, you know, Jesus uh, told us in John chapter 10, we learned last time, that the Lord is my shepherd. Uh, he's the great shepherd. And he knows his sheep by name. And he hears their, uh, they they hear his voice and know his voice. And and no man can pluck them out of the hand of the Father. You know, it's a great chapter, John chapter 10. And, uh, and we, we re- reviewed how Jesus was not the sheepdog, he was the shepherd. He's not nipping at people's heels, but he's leading. And we talked about, you know, the pull rather than the push. A godly leader will pull people and, and, uh, and not push them and, and inspire people to move on and move up. You know, like, like we talked about, John Quincy Adams said, if your actions inspire others to dream more, learn more, do more, and become more, than you are a leader. Um, I think that's a true statement. We talked about um, the, the four D's of leadership. First was design. Who, what has God designed you to be? What are your giftings? What are your talents? How's, how has God sovereignly and uniquely wired you? And we talked about Romans 12 giftings, you know, and, and how the Lord has made you. The second D was direction. What direction are you going to move? And hopefully, it's in the direction of your giftings. Too many guys spin their wheels, waste their time, I think, trying to go after stuff that's not part of their wheelhouse, not something they know, not something they're good at. You know, it's really quite simple. Just do what you're good at. And oftentimes, you know, for us, the grass is greener on the other side. Well, if I could be like that guy and do that thing, but that's, that may not be your gifting. It's, it's funny. Uh, I think wise is the man. That learns what his giftings are, and then really goes with that. Even if even if he doesn't uh, really think that that's the most glorious path or the thing that you think would be the most fun, uh, I think sometimes real leadership is just knowing the direction you need to go. And then third D was development, <clears throat> to develop your skills. And we talked about developing character, and knowledge, and you know studying the scripture and having just general uh, dealing with your emotions and developing that. and um, and uh, those kinds of developmental issues with leadership. So uh, we talked about design, direction, development, and then lastly, we looked at devotion. How uh, one of the greatest attributes of a good leader is is to be a a man who's devoted to solitude, prayer, uh, studying the Word personally, Um, devotion in fellowship even, in small groups and what have you, and truly one who trusts the Lord. Because all these other things we talk about, if you're talking about design, direction, and development, it's all a big waste of time if if uh, you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Uh, it's so amazing to me how um, we have to be careful to make sure that we major on the things that are important. Um, you know, uh, the, just this week I did another funeral, and it was a tough one, a uh, hard one. Um, and it's, it's a little bit of a story there. Um, uh, you know, I got, a, I got a, a letter in the mail a couple weeks ago, and it was from a guy who um, uh, just, just accepted the Lord at Athey Creek, and uh, you know, he lifted up his hand and, and accepted Christ and confessed Christ. And, um, and you know, it was just a nice letter, and he talked about his previous experience with the Christians and churches, which wasn't all that great. And, um, and then he came here and started hearing the scriptures and, and, um, and just felt like he had faith to believe what the Bible was teaching. And so he accepted the Lord along with his, um, uh, a couple of his kids. And, and, um, and it was kind of an interesting deal because uh, I was getting ready to write him back uh, a, a note when the, the, the next Sunday I actually uh, met him over here and talked to him for several minutes after the service. We kind of sat down, him and his kids, and got to know them a l- little bit. Um, but. Uh, didn't know, uh, he didn't really tell me anything that he was really wrestling with or what he was going through, but it was pretty radical stuff that he was dealing with. Uh, but he was just very complimentary and talking about how he could get more plugged in and stuff like that. Um, and then, uh, and then, uh, uh, then the next week I get a call about a guy in our church who committed suicide. Um, and, uh, sure enough, it was this guy. And, um, you know it, was, it wasn't just it, was, it wasn 't just your average you know uh, suicide if you could say such a thing. This guy had a gun in his pocket, took a knife, and drove it into his heart um, and um, And his son found him there. Uh, it was a tough deal, tough deal. So we did the memorial service, and there was a lot of friends there um, a lot at the memorial service i 'm pretty sure just in the it was a crowd not that much smaller than this group here it was a pretty big group and um, but I'd say probably most of the people there were not, not saved. Not that I would judge that, but it just, you know, you get the vibe a little bit. Um, and, um, and you know what it was? It was all about fishing. Uh, the memorial service was all about fishing. And, and uh, there was pictures of him catching fish and he did some guiding and stuff. And you know, fishing's great. There's nothing wrong with fishing, right? Um, but 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 if that's all there is on your Memorial Day, if that's all you've got Is you caught some good? You slayed a man in your lifetime. You you did some serious fishing. There's something about it. Now, take it from a guy who's done hundreds of memorial services. What your pictures are and who you were. One guy, uh, you know, Gabe and I were talking about this the other day. We did a, a funeral for another guy who committed suicide. He was a mighty hunter and he hunted and there was all kinds of. He was into two things: hunting and drinking beer. Uh, And uh, and the last song on the slideshow was Little Red Cup, Solo Cup, or whatever. That was, and everybody's like in the, you know, and it was just kind of sad. The guy was into that. That was his whole life amounted up to, you know, hunting, and a little red cup. The difference in the one this week was simply this: I was able to get up in front of the group this week, and and express to the people that were there, you know, I, I I told them the story about how Jesus met, you know, Peter and James and John, and they were all fishermen. They were into fishing; it was their career. But Jesus said, "Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men." I was able to talk about how you know the fish—they dropped their nets and they followed Jesus Christ. And uh, and and I kind of spent time talking about even after Jesus died, was buried, Peter went back to his old fishing hole and said, "I'm going fishing," but he came up empty, and there was nothing in the the lake he couldn't catch out of the Sea of Galilee. This professional fisherman came up empty, and I was able to talk about um, you know how. Then Peter and the guys are in the morning, they see Jesus on the seashore cooking up some fish. And Jesus had all along what they were actually looking for. He had it right there, and it was cooking up. I bet Jesus knew how to cook fish well, too. Um, perfectly done, uh, you know? And um, I was talking about that at this memorial service, and I was able to share with those people. You know, uh, the fact is, he was a fisherman. He did a lot of cool stuff there, but, but um, I believe that he's in heaven because of that confession and that faith in Christ that he uh, talked about in the last couple weeks of his life. And I was able to share the gospel with all those folks and um, even had a few guys come up afterwards and talk to me about what they need to do to get their life right. And it was kind of an amazing deal. Um, And and the reason I I share that story with you guys is, um, you know, I think we as men get caught up into our little things and forget about the stuff that really matters, the stuff that's really important. And sometimes it's good to step back and say, man, is my life going in the direction it needs to go? If, I, if my funeral were this weekend, God forbid, Brett's doing my funeral, have you ever thought about that? Who's, who's gonna do your funeral? And what are they gonna say about you? Because I do funerals, I think about this stuff all the time. I know, I'm weird. But, uh, but it is something you might wanna think about. What's your life gonna be all about, you know? Um, and the reason I, I share that is, is a lot of times, uh, I think that stepping up to what God wants you to do as a man, uh, and, and really looking at what God's given you, what has He entrusted you with? What's in your you know, um, area of, of uh, effectiveness and your sphere of influence? You know, it's something we talk about here from time to time. And um, you know, I, I think that one of the things I'd like to see us do is consider that today. I'd like you to turn to Jeremiah chapter one. And uh, let's let's kind of springboard off of some of the stuff we talked about last time and uh, get into this. I think it's going to be important for us. I like I like Jeremiah. He's an amazing dude. In fact, um, of all the prophets of the Old Testament, Jeremiah is interesting me because you may not give Jeremiah the greatest of the prophet award. Right? Um, that might go to Isaiah because Isaiah man he he was a powerful prophet. Um, and spoke of the coming of the Messiah, both the first coming and the second coming. I mean, Isaiah was an amazing dude. He gets the most amazing, I think. Uh, Jonah gets the most successful award, as we talked about a few weeks ago, Um, because he walked into town and said, you're you're all going to die unless you repent. And so they all repented, the whole town, Uh, 100% success as a prophet. Uh, Even though he had an attitude problem, you might give him the most successful one. Um, Ezekiel gets the weirdest award. Uh, I shouldn't say that. Let's call it something nicer. Mystical. He's very mystical. Talks about wheels within wheels. And, you know, Ezekiel's kind of hard to understand in some ways for me. I mean, I think Ezekiel is probably the more challenging book to teach through as, a, as, as we were going through the Bible for me personally, but, but it's still really rich and good. But he's very mystical, very, very mystical. But, but Jeremiah, Jeremiah. well, he goes down, his, his fame is he's called the weeping prophet. And he's also, you'd call him perhaps the most unsuccessful of the prophets because no one ever listened to him. But let's read here what it says here in chapter one. It says, the word of Jeremiah, the son of Hilkiah, of the priests that were in Anathoth, in the land of Benjamin, to whom the word of the Lord came in the days of Josiah, the son of Ammon, uh, the king of Judah, in the 13th year of his reign. It came also in the days of Jehoiakim, the son of uh, Josiah, king of Judah, uh, unto the end of the 11th year of Zedekiah, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, unto the carrying away of Jerusalem, captive in the fifth month. Um, so this just kind of defines his ministry. He's he's sort of a pastor's kid, if you would, because his dad was Hilkiah the priest. Um, and uh, they, so he already has that to deal with growing up. Um, but he, he's a prophet during um, quite a few kings, in fact, Um, these aren't all the kings listed that he was prophesying during. There was a few other minor ones that had shorter reigns that aren't even listed here. But he he spoke to many kings of Israel. So verse 4 says, Then the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed thee in the belly, I knew thee. And before thou camest forth out of the womb, I sanctified thee. And I ordained thee a prophet unto the nations." Then said I, Ah, Lord God, behold, I cannot speak, for I am a child. By the way, he's about 30 at this point. Um, He's saying, I'm too young. I'm not experienced. I don't have enough skills or whatever. I'm just a child. But, verse 7, the Lord said unto me, Say not, I am a child, for thou shalt go to all that I shall send thee, and whatsoever I command thee, thou shalt speak. Be not afraid of their faces, for I am with thee to deliver thee, saith the Lord. Then the Lord put forth his hand and touched my mouth, and, uh, and the Lord said unto me, Behold, I have put my words in thy mouth. See, I have this day set thee over the nations and over the kingdoms to root out, to pull down, and destroy, and to throw down, to build, and to plant. Here we have Jeremiah receiving the word of the Lord, that he's supposed to speak the word of the Lord, and God puts the words in his mouth to speak, and, and, and what an amazing challenge for young Jeremiah. Um, but he realizes God's sending him, God's got this purpose for him. And uh, there's a bunch of things here that I think are kind of interesting. One is that the Jeremiah, he's, he's feeling um, like he's ill-equipped or not really ready. It's one of the first things I see with men is they think they don't know enough or they don't um, have the skills, so they refuse to step up to what God's called them to do. Some of you guys are, uh, you know, hesitant to do your home family devotions because you feel like you don't know the Scriptures very well. Some of you guys, you say, well, my wife knows the Bible better than I do, so she'll do family devotions and I'll just watch football or do nothing or whatever. But that's no excuse. God will put the words in your mouth. And until you step out and, and try it, you, uh, you won't, you, you're, you're guaranteed to fail if you don't ever do family devotions. You will fail with family devotions if you never do them. Now, I, I would uh, have a show of hands. How many of you guys with young uh, kids are doing that? Don't raise your hand. But um, I don't want to embarrass anybody. But uh, man, I, I, would, I would just challenge you guys to, to, to say, Lord, what is in my world right now that I am called to lead? Jeremiah gets this word for the Lord. I want you to do this, and I want you to speak these words to those people. And I believe that um, we, like Jeremiah, can say, oh, Lord, not so. I cannot speak. You might say that, but I would challenge you uh, to step out and be impressed with God. There's nothing cooler than when you start to share with your family or with whatever area or group you're called to lead, when you step out and then the Lord starts putting words in your mouth. Here, let's do a show of hands. How many of you guys have been impressed with, once you do open your mouth to lead and share the Lord, you've actually felt like the Lord, the Lord put words in your mouth? How many of you guys have had that happen? Almost all of you guys, that's amazing. And I think that that's what the Lord promises. It's funny how, you know, we, we tend to, you know, hold back because of our fears of messing up. Um, You know, the fear of messing up is something that uh, I think you you should be really cautious of because um, you will have messes if you're a leader. Leaders have messes, it's just the way it goes. I love what Solomon wrote um, in, you know, you guys know this one, Proverbs 14, uh, verse four says, where no oxen are, the crib is clean but much increase is by the strength of the ox." What's that? Well, that's King James where there's no cows, there's no cow pies. The, the stable or the, the pen, the barnyard is clean. There's no cow pies. It's very clean, but it's totally unprofitable. Um, cow pies are part of the deal if you're gonna raise cattle. We had cattle when I was growing up as a kid, and I was on, we called it poop patrol. I had to go around with a wheelbarrow and a pitchfork and shovel manure every Saturday. Man, that was my deal. Uh, and, uh, and cows do that. That's what cows do. But there was much fruit. We had dairy cows, and we had beef cows, and uh, those burgers were excellent. And uh, having, you know, fresh milk on my cereal every morning as a kid was kind of a cool deal. There was increase because there were cow pies, I, I, the reason I say that is because don't be afraid to make the mess. That's part of the deal. There's much increase uh, when you when you're willing to get the, the stable just a little bit dirty. Um, so, Saul, pardon me. So Jeremiah here, he's saying, uh, "Man, I'm I'm just a child. I cannot speak." But the Lord says, "You know, Jeremiah, don't be afraid of their faces. Um, fear, being afraid of what people. You know, are you afraid of your own kids?" Are you afraid of the, the people that you lead? And do you really hope that they like you? One of the things about being a leader in biblical leadership is you cannot worry about what people think about you. Now, you do need to be concerned with how you treat people. Some, some leaders couldn't care less what people think, and so they're just total jerks all the time. That's not what I'm talking about. But if you're afraid of the people that you're leading and what they might think about you, then that's not leadership. Leadership requires you to step out in things that people are just not going to like. Do you remember David failed? David failed in this area of leadership in our study through the Bible. Do you recall where we were reading where David, he, you know, with Adonijah, who was this rebellious son who wanted to be the king? And it says that David did not ever say anything lest he displeased. Adonijah. Remember that? He was afraid to make Adonijah hurt his little feelings as a little kid. He was afraid to, to say no to Adonijah and, and teach him what was right and wrong. He wanted to be his little buddy rather than being the, the leader of his own son. That was David's error. And, and brothers, I want to challenge you in this. It's so important not to be afraid of their faces. And, and whether you're talking about your kids, or any area of leadership where the Lord is wanting to use you, you've got to be willing to, um, to speak truth, to say things that offend. Um, you, you still need to do it lovingly. There's some cool balances, by the way, in this one. Um, you can turn quickly with me to 1 Thessalonians. Keeping your finger on Jeremiah. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, I want to show you something. When we jump from Jeremiah to the Apostle Paul, who um, the Apostle Paul is arguably a great leader in the Bible, wouldn't you agree? Paul led many people, uh, and had many strong men under his care that he was discipling and teaching and uh, showing. And here in uh, the book of Thessalon, uh, to the Thessalonicans, they're um, they're being told by Paul. Here's how we ministered to you. Um, Check this out. It's uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 3. He says, "For our exhortation." was not of deceit, nor of uncleanness, nor in guile. Um, Guile, by the way, is kind of like in in a decoy, sort of using sort of fake things to try to, you know, cover up something. But verse 4, but as we were allowed of God to be put in trust with the gospel, even so we speak, not as pleasing men, but God, which trieth our hearts." For neither at any time used we flattering words as you know, nor a cloak of covetousness God is witness, nor of men sought we glory, neither of you nor yet of others when we might have been burdensome as the apostles of Christ. Now, notice what Paul is saying here. I love this, verse 4, for we didn't at any time use flattering words. Some guys who think they're leaders or want to be leaders, they think they're going to woo people under their leadership by speaking flattery words, but that's not leadership. Why would a guy do that? Well, let's talk about pastoral leadership just for a second, because this is something maybe you guys will kind of recognize. Have you ever heard a pastor who seems to be motivated by something other than the truth? Um, What do you mean, Brett? Well, if you read this, you know, Paul's speaking about ministry and pastoring. He says, we didn't use flattering words, as you know, nor a cloak of covetousness. What's that? Paul's saying, we didn't covet after stuff, so we using flattery words to get what we want. Nor sought we, verse 6, glory, neither of you or others. Um, he's, he's basically saying, we weren't trying to get something. We were wanting to speak the truth, so we didn't use flattery. I'm, I'm concerned that pastors are, are very quick to be flattering toward people, say what everybody wants to have them, have them hear. Um, hopefully they'll, they'll give more in the tithes and offerings if you say stuff that make people really happy. Um, and uh, that, that, that's the, the, the MO of some of the pastors in America today. So we're not teaching the truth. Uh, people, they don't wanna hear about hell and death and destruction and wrath and sin and judgment. So they'll just talk about the, the, the victory that Jesus wants to give you and the hope and all the good stuff that I love too. But I think you gotta teach the whole thing. If you don't teach the, the, the bad side, the dark side, the bright side doesn't look that bright. You gotta see that uh, death and hell and God's wrath is all part of the deal still. Um, In the same way, there are those who try to lead by flattering words so that you can get something, but that's not real leadership. Um, Now, some of you are like, preach it, Brett. We need to just tell people like it is. Oh, but wait. Let's see how Paul… He says, okay, we didn't use flattering words. We weren't covetous. We didn't seek the glory of men, but read further. It says in verse uh, 7, chapter 2, verse 7 of Thessalonians, but we were gentle among you even as a a nurse cherishes her children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were willing to have imparted unto you not the gospel of God only, but also our own souls because you were dear to us." See, here's where where the other side of the coin is dropped. If you're a leader who wants to speak the truth and tell it like it is, good. But it has to be carefully uh, wrapped in love. And what an image for a pastor like Paul to use. He basically says, I'm like a breastfeeding mother. Do you realize that's what it says? It doesn't say that in the King James, but we were gentle among you even as a nurse cherishes her children, so affectionately desirous of you. He's using very um, women's ministry terms of how we cared for you. See, he's saying we're not gonna hold back and we're gonna speak the, the truth, but we're gonna do it in a way that's like a nursing mother, And then he goes on with the relationships. He says, verse nine, for you remember, brethren. See, before he was talking about mothers, now we're brothers. He says, you remember, brethren, our labor and our travail for laboring night and day because we would not be chargeable to any of you. We preached unto you the gospel. You are witnesses of God also. How holy and justly and unblameably we behaved ourselves among you that believe. As you know how we exhorted you and comforted you and charged every one of you as a father, doth his children, that you would walk worthy of God, who hath called you into his kingdom and glory. What's this? How did Paul lead? It's an amazing description. He didn't use flattering words. He didn't seek his own glory, but he was like a nursing mom. That's the first relationship. Then he was like a brother standing alongside of the people of Thessalonica, being there to support and build up and strengthen. But then he says, but we were also fathers as it says there in verse 11, exhorting you and comforting you as a father does his kids. See, true leadership, whether you're in the family or in the church or even at your workplace, you will find biblical leadership works in all those places um, if you follow God's plan. And some of you, you have to kinda do a little inventory right now. Who are you as a leader right now? Who are you? Think about this for a second. Are you the guy that just doesn't lead because you're not smart enough or because you don't know enough or you're afraid of their faces like Jeremiah? Or, 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 are you, Brad, I'm not that guy. I'm a leader. I lead men. Okay? But are you a jerk? Are you the kind of leader that just bosses people around and try to make sure guys follow you? If they don't follow you, crack the whip. Is that what you do? Or, or do you, Love them as a mother, love them as brothers, and love them as a father cares for his kids, the people that you're leading. And there's, there's kind of this beautiful balance. And Paul even gives this list here that's kind of amazing. He says, we weren't chargeable to you, but you were dear to us. And he even says, you know how we behaved. Um, we behaved ourselves unblameably, holily, and justly. See, Paul's describing, I think, kind of the perfect leader right here in you know, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 because he's saying, man, you're just, holy, um, not looking for your own gain from everybody else, but leading because you love. You love the people that you're leading. Even as Jesus leads us, the Good Shepherd, as he loves his flock and laid down his life for the sheep. Um, this, this is the biblical model of leadership. Now flip over to the book of Jude. Jude, right before Revelation. In uh, the book of Jude, it's only one chapter, so there's no chapters, but the verse here I want to see you, uh, have you see here is um, Jude verse 16. He's talking about false leaders and false teachers. But he says of these guys in verse 16, these are murmurers, complainers, walking after their own lusts, and their mouth speaketh great swelling words, having men's persons in administration because of advantage. What's that? They're speaking words as leaders that are swelling words, that help people swell up with pride, if you would. Um, flattery like Paul says that we don't do. We don't flatter. But here these false teachers, these false leaders that Jude's talking about, they're speaking with swelling words. And he says having men's persons in administration because of advantage. That's just because they want to get something from you. They want to get something from you. All that to say biblical leadership is not seeking its own. And it's like we talked about, you know, last week, Jesus said, if you want to be great, you must become least. If you want to gain this life, you've got to lose this life for my sake. It's not about you getting what you want. It's about you doing what God wants in your life. And a true biblical model for leadership is to die to yourself, give up your thing. Don't try to build up your empire, but just let all that go and say, Lord, put words in my mouth. Help me to lead because of love. I love these people. I love my family. I'm going to step up to leadership for that reason, because I want to be a tool in your hand. And whatever sphere of influence you have today, that you, whether it's your, you know, your kids, um, even your wife, the Bible says we as men are to lead our families and lead our wives. How does that all shake out? There's a few things. Uh, if you're taking notes, I want to just kind of think about with you um, about leadership um, and just observations. And one of those things is leadership can be kind of lonely. Let me just put that out there for you. True biblical leadership can be lonely. And what do you mean by that, Brett? Well, Jeremiah is a good example. Back to him Jeremiah was the guy who led uh, the whole nation as the prophet, but nobody was on his side. He didn't do it to gain popularity, he didn't do it so people would esteem him as the great prophet. In fact, like I said, he goes down as sort of the loser prophet. The only reason we know he's not a loser prophet is because Jesus quoted Jeremiah more than any other other prophet, not Ezekiel, not Isaiah, none of that, uh, not nearly as much as Jeremiah. Jesus says, Jeremiah is the man. And it's because he was faithful to lead uh, but it was a lonely place. He ends up in dungeons and, 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 and by himself. And I, I just wanna give you a realistic view. When you lead, don't expect everybody to jump on your bandwagon. Sometimes it's a lonely place when you're doing what God wants you to do, and that's okay. Um, if, you're doing it to, if you're leading for whatever reason to gain a bunch of friends, then you're gonna be all r- r- messed up anyway. Um, Don't be shocked if leading in God's way leaves you alone. That's the first thing I want to talk about that. And then secondly, leading also is not only lonely, but it also should be looking. You should be looking around um, to see what's going on around you. Um, One of the things I think we do is we don't always recognize who we're leading and, 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 and looking around to see what God has for us. Remember how we talked about Last week, your design and what God's gifted you in and your talents, and then also the direction and the development of that talent and gifting. Um, another thing you have to look at is who has God put in front of you to lead? And, and then you, you kind of think about, okay, you know, do I have a vision for this leadership role that God's put me in? So let's talk about, say, uh, marriage. Uh, since the Bible says, the husbands, that we are kind of the leader of our home. Um, again, this is something that's not very mo- uh, modern. This is a very old notion that, that many people think is antiquated to say that the man is the leader of the home. Um, the word cleaver is laughed at now, as we talked about, what was that Wednesday night or sometime, I forget where we talked about, Ward Cleaver is the joke. Why? Because he was a man. He was a manly man who had a job, and he had his responsibilities, and he came home and led the family, and, you know, and it was, it was more of your what you might call a real traditional leader, father, husband role. But I always like to say, what was wrong with Ward Cleaver? Wasn't Ward a good example of a guy who was just faithful in his marriage? He was a guy who uh, did his work and gave, gave attention to his kids. It's so funny how we've kind of laughed at that. And, and one of the reasons was the feminist movement made Ward uh, Cleaver sort of a, you know, a thing of the past because men aren't supposed to lead, it's it's men and women leading equally. Um, But see, here's the problem, the Bible doesn't really teach that. Um, Again, uh, this is something that I teach because the Lord puts these words in my mouth and it doesn't make me a lot of friends. But what does the Bible say? Flip over to 1 Timothy, let's just remember something in 1 Timothy. And keep in mind, Timothy is um, the old apostle Paul, Giving Timothy direction on leadership, how to lead his church. Uh, it's first Timothy chapter two. First Timothy two, eleven says, Let the women learn in silence with all subjection. But I suffer not a woman to teach or usurp authority over the man, but to be in silence. For Adam was first formed, then Eve. And Adam was not deceived. But the woman being deceived was in transgression, notwithstanding she shall be saved in childbearing if they continue in faith and charity and holiness with sobriety. Okay, here's the question. If, if, if you believe, for example, um, that women should be pastors in the church. Now, let me just say this. Um, I, I know there's guys that, even in this room, probably think that Joyce Meyer's is great. The problem is she's a senior pastor. She's te- teaching and usurping authority over men. So what happens? Some people say, well, this isn't for today. This Scripture doesn't really apply for today. It was that day, back in those times. Uh, that's what the traditions of men were. Um, here's the problem with that. The reference that Paul uses goes back to the very beginning in the Garden of Eden, so what we have to understand is, Paul's point goes from the beginning of creation all the way to you know 60 AD, when Paul was you know, doing some of his stuff, right? So, so all of that was true up to that point. Does that mean that somewhere in 2000, no, let's say somewhere in 1960, we said that scripture doesn't really apply to us anymore. What was it that changed in history or in God's economy that made this untrue. You see, my point is I still believe this is true because of the reference to the Garden of Eden. And um, it's, it's really a tough thing to teach because, um, you know, women feel like, oh, what are we, less than men? Well, that's, that's not what the Bible teaches either. The Bible says that men are to dwell with their wives according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife. Um, and, and you say, yeah, but it says as unto the weaker vessel, see the, bo- no, the weaker doesn't mean inferior. You know, it's, it's, it's like we've talked about before, you know, she's the wine glass. You're the root beer mug. The wine glass is more fragile. It's a weaker vessel, but it's a, it's a, a superior vessel than a root beer mug. You're the root beer mug. She's the wine glass and she's to be honored. The, the woman has a place in the church and she's gifted and she's got talents. The only thing is God says, I want the men to lead and teach in the church. funny to me. uh, Have you ever noticed New Age, enlightenment, finding your third eye of understanding, uh, you know, and all that stuff? Why is it that women are at the helm of New Age and enlightenment and finding those, you know, uh, visions of ascension? Where's all the men in that? I'll tell you, men don't do that as much. But Oprah Winfrey, she loves that stuff. Shirley MacLaine and all of her, you know, followers and these women who had come off with these ideas. um, Why did they think that? I'll tell you. It's because they wanted to go deeper. They wanted to have their eyes enlightened, just like Eve in the Garden of Eden when the serpent said, he didn't, by the way, did you ever notice Satan didn't come and say, Eve, did you see the man over here in a Speedo? Are you tempted now? She would have went, whatever. Now, what is is the man tempted by? The naked woman with fruit in her hand. Uh, It's like, okay, uh, I'll I'll take a bite of the apple or whatever it was, the fruit, because there's beautiful Eve. She bit into it because she wanted her eyes enlightened. Can you imagine if Adam were standing at the tree and the serpent says, Adam, your eyes will be enlightened and you'll become more like God. Adam went, whatever. Because that's just not a guy thing, generally speaking. It's it's an interesting thing. And so the, the reason I say all that is it's not a knock against women. I think women have this beautiful desire to go deeper in things of the Lord, generally speaking. And so what does the Lord do? He says, I want men to be the leaders of the church so that, that if you would, so that we won't be derailed by that desire to go deeper to, to a point of uh, fault. But the men will bring a certain logic and... and, and uh, you know, solid foundation to the doctrines in the church. That's why the men are to teach. Now, obviously, this doesn't mean women can't speak in the church ever. Some people have taken it that far, and we know that's not true because there's other places in the Bible where women teach, and and and, and it's when women teach other women. Uh, you see that in Titus chapter 2, that the older women should be teaching the younger women. and And then also, there's women who spoke in the church uh, but there was a covering of male leadership. That's kind of an important thing. The men are to be leading and the women are not to lead in the church. This is now, so you're either going to say, I believe what the Bible says on this, or it's not for today. Now, here's a danger, by the way, when you start taking, you know, First Timothy chapter 2 and saying it's not for today, well, then we can take whatever we want in the Bible and say it's not for today. I kind of like to think that gay people should be okay, and it's all good, so I'm going to rip out Romans chapter one. that's not for today <laughs> uh, you know, get rid of that one because that that that's the popular thing to do. but here's the sad thing. you know um, I know some of the gay people even that have been in our church here and and because of that being called sin in the Bible, <coughs> sin always leads to sorrow and sorrow then to suffering. You see. The the leadership that I want to offer is a biblical leadership. So I'll tell people what what is true from the Bible. And I'm not doing it because I'm anti-gay. See, I think sometimes we Christians, (coughs) we camp out on what we're against. And it's not about that as much. It's actually that I really do care about the gay people that come to our church. (laughs) Brett, there's gay people that come to our church? There are. Um, Just the other Sunday, you know, we were seeing several couples back in the back here. And I was, I was really glad they're here. I want them to hear the gospel and the message of Jesus Christ and that God loves them and died on the cross for their sins as, as he died on the cross for our sins. Um, the leadership that we're offering here at 8th of Greek, some people call it hate, but it's actually driven, if you looked at up under the hood, <coughs> you'd see love is the drive for teaching God's word. In the same way for women to lead in the church, I think that's a mistake. Um, and and, and um, I think we're going to pay for that doctrinally, and we are. And so those George Fox professors that came here on a Wednesday night, and they started yelling at me because I didn't have a woman pastor. Um, uh, and I just let them yell, and then I said, so you just don't believe First Timothy chapter 2, right? And they said, it's not for today. And I said, so who, who says that's not for today? Is that you? And what else are you saying is not for today? Because there's a lot of things I don't like in the Bible that I'd like to you know, take out, you know, and, and the more we talked, the more furious they, they became and then they stomped out. Um, it's really a sad deal. Um, by the way, there was a day where George Fox didn't have women uh, leading pastors, um, but the further that school, uh, as much as I appreciate a lot of good things about George Fox, and there's some great profs over there and great classes, but back in the ancient days when Tad used to go to George Fox, uh, they didn't have women pastors there, is that right? Uh, and, and now their senior pastor or has been a woman in the, in the, in the school itself. And I, I just see them moving further and further away from good, sound doctrine. It's just what's happening. Get mad at me if you want. Brett, this is a men's group. You're in safe territory here. Yeah, but then there's the thing online and ladies are watching. Uh, and uh, uh, So I'm going to get it. Uh, anyway, it's all going to happen anyway. <laughs> Plus, you guys go, you're not going to believe what Brett said today, honey. (laughs) Um, No. Um, So, you know, Proverbs 29, 18, um, where there is no vision, the people perish. So, you know, looking around who you're leading, why you're leading, and what you're saying, uh, not being um, afraid to offend… And speak. That, that's, the, that's the thing. So leading can be lonely, but leading should be looking at who you're ministering to. What group and what has God given you? And, you know, here's the, here's the truth. How can one lead if he doesn't recognize where he's going? And you, so you have to know where you're going. Are you going to choose to be a biblical man who's saying, it's the Word, it's the Word, it's the Word? I'm going to stick with God's Word and do what the Bible says. Um, too many men, even pastors of churches have, have caved and said, I'm not going to go with the Word. I'm going I'm to, you know, try to go with the world. We're going to be more relevant. We're going to try to be so acceptable by the world. We're going to behave in a way that sort of tries to woo the people. But is that what Paul did? Did he speak with flattering words, trying to gain people, trying to be relevant? Was that what Paul was doing? Uh, the truth is Paul was the exact opposite of trying to gain people and, and woo them in by, you know, uh, you know just, I, I just see churches acting weirder and weirder. You know, behaving in a way to sort of say, we can be just like the world, but we're still saved. We're still within safe boundaries. Whatever happened to the day where a good leader would say, I'm gonna be as godly and most holy as I can be. Like Paul said, we've acted holily and justly before you. Uh, what happens to the guys that say, man, I'm gonna just be so sold out for Christ that others will follow me just because they'll recognize it when they see it? Big goof to try to lead by you know being hip and cool. And, and if you're doing that as a parent, if you're doing that even in your workplace as a leader, you're, I, I believe you're gonna fail, you're gonna fail. A leader has to be willing to ruffle feathers, but, but he also has to do it in a loving, and compassionate kind of way. That's the trick in, in biblical leadership. Um, and then also leadership uh, is not only uh, lonely, but it can be—it should be looking, looking around, seeing who you're leading, but also requires learning. A good godly leader will learn and always continue to learn. That's one of the things you'll see uh, that's always common in a good leader. And let me, let me give you some things to, to think about that we could sharpen up on, on uh, as Christian leader, uh, men that are leading. Um, I'm going to give you a list of C's here since I did D's last time. Let's go with C's this time. First, consistency. A good leader is, is consistent. One of the things you see in the Bible is all of God's leaders, even though they have failures, welcome to uh, the world of humanity. If you're a man, you're going to sin, you're going to make mistakes. But, but by and large, when you see Moses or Daniel or Joseph or if you see Paul or Timothy or others, you see a certain consistency where they're walking with the Lord. You don't see the Lord very often use a man who's fickle. And one week he's in, one week he's out. The one guy that we actually see a good example was a guy named John Mark. Remember him? And he did something that ticked Paul off because he wasn't faithful in the ministry. He messed up somewhere. So Paul sort of chocks him off, if you recall. And then what, did, what happened? Paul and Barnabas were having this discussion about John Mark, this young dude who was somehow failing in ministry or was wavering in something. And so Barnabas says, man, we need to keep him. We need to restore him back to good health. And Paul said, get him out of my sight. We got work to do. There's a kingdom that we're working in and we need to see souls saved. We can't, we can't mess around with John Mark. Paul and Barnabas had such a disagreement about this that they split ways. You say, well, who was right? Was it Paul or was it Barnabas? You know, um, if, you're, if you're compassionate for John Mark, you're like, man, I'm thankful for Barnabas because he cared about the poor kid. He just made one mistake. And Paul, he's such a brutal, you know, brutal guy. On the other hand, think of all the things Paul accomplished. He didn't let, a, you know, a hiccup in a guy that was helping him cause him to slow down. He said, get that guy out of here, give me somebody who can actually help me in the ministry. And, uh, and see, I, I'm of the opinion both were right. Paul was right, and Barnabas was right. They just have different forms of leadership, and they had different callings on their life. They had a different sphere of influence. Barnabas was not the, the guy who would preach and see thousands of people saved and baptized. That wasn't Barnabas. Barnabas, his name, well, it means like uh, he was the, like consolation. He was a guy who consoled people. He was like the guy that had this gift of mercy, and he could put his arm around John Mark and say, hey, Paul doesn't want you anymore. But man, I'll take you and I'll disciple you and I'll show you where you went wrong and I'll help you back to good spiritual health. You know what I love about the story of John Mark, Paul, and Barnabas? Do you remember who uh, Paul asked for just before he was gonna die? He said, send for me, John Mark. Um, It's kind of cool. When when all was kind of said and done, John Mark becomes a blessing once again to Saul. And I think we have Barnabas to give credit for that. Um, but at the same time, Paul did what he was called to do as well. Um, all that to say, um, the, you know, John Mark was the kind of the guy who was inconsistent, but <clears throat> but the true leader uh, will be a guy who's walking with the Lord, steady progression, and uh, not fleeing and running around. You know, doing things. I love when Jesus talks. Like we talked last week about the Good Shepherd. Listen to what he said in John chapter ten, verse eleven. He says, "I am the Good Shepherd." and the good shepherd will give his life for the sheep. But he that is a hireling and not the shepherd whose own sheep are not, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf catches them and scatters the sheep. The hireling flees because he's a hireling and cares not for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and have known of mine. That's John chapter 10, verse 11 through 14. Um, the hireling flees. Um, how do you know if you own the ministry God's put in front of you, if you own, um, you know, leadership that God has given to you. Well, you'll know if you're the true shepherd, as God would call us to be, if you don't flee at the first sign of trouble. If you're in it, you know, Jesus was completely in it. He lays down his life for the sheep. Um, There's a lot of guys today that at the first sign of trouble in their marriage with their family, they get a divorce. I'm out of here, man. They treat me bad. Um, I don't like what's going on here. I can't do what I want to do. And, and off he goes. And, and sad to say, more kids are raised in a home today without uh, you know, d- double mom and dad parents than kids that uh, are, you know, most kids are raised in a single parent home today because of flaky fathers, by and large, who have bailed on their families. That's the truth of the matter. That's not leadership, that's just uh, inconsistency. What we need is men who are walking with the Lord, steady, progress, not being fickle, not being fleeting, not being frustrated to where you give up and go down to the bar and just start drinking the beers because you're, uh, have a, well, I had a bad moment. No, that's, that's not true leadership. Um, you need consistency, that's something to work on, a track record, where we can look at your track record and say, man, this guy's been running, running the race. And look, he's been running for a long time and he's running hard. You show me a guy who's not fickle in his life and he's consistent in his walk with the Lord and I'll show you a guy who's effective in a a leadership role. It's just the way it is. Um, Inconsistency kills your leadership opportunity. Um, And you see that in the Bible. Um, So consistency is kind of a, a big one. Also, courage we see that in our text here in Jeremiah where, you know, don't be afraid of their faces, but a good leader will not be afraid. Um, you know, uh, they'll stand for truth when, when others, you know, fall for false doctrine, false teaching, false notions. Um, a, a, a true leader will show courage uh, when they stand up and speak against heresy or wrong teaching, but they'll do it lovely, lovingly uh, as a good shepherd. Some people say, Brett, I can't believe you said that at church, but here's the thing. Um, uh, if I'm angry about something for real, I won't teach about it. I don't want to really teach on a Sunday morning or on a Wednesday night about a topic that I'm really ticked off about because I'll probably misrepresent it. Um, So if somebody thinks, boy, Brett's really fired up about that topic, then that means I've done my job in making you think I'm really upset about something. Um, it's kind of like when you're a parent. Uh, remember as a dad when your kids were little, if you, or maybe you're in that place right now, where you had to sort of turn on your uh, angry eyes, uh, and you had to just give them that look? But in your heart, there was nothing but love and compassion and joy, but you were giving them the old eye like, you stop that or you're going to get it. Um, or, or even speaking a strong word. Sometimes you have to kind of speak a strong word, even though it's love in your heart. See, that's, that's, that's the thing, courage and yet love. That's, that's such a, a real key. Those things go hand in hand. Don't just be courageous without having love in your heart for the, for the people God has put in, in your care. Um, don't forget, every person that the Lord has put in your care, if you're a leader of your home or where you work, or in the church, or whatever. Every person the Lord has put under your care. Don't forget this, this is important. You have been given care of someone Jesus Christ purchased with his own blood. Do you understand that? That that Christ purchased your wife with his own blood and he's given you the position to care for her. And it's, 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 I get that from actually Acts chapter 20, I'll just tell you where it is, it's Acts 20, 28, it says, take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers, leaders, to feed the church of God which he hath purchased with his own blood. How valuable is your wife to God or your children or the people that you're leading? Um, how valuable? Well, it's so valuable that Christ purchased them with, with his blood. The, the sobering factor on this to me is exponential. Um, so when I, when I talk to the congregation at Athey Creek, before I start, you know, you know, just shooting off at the mouth, I have to always tuck in the back of my mind this flock, these are the people that Christ purchased with his own blood. The value of these people is just so profound, it's humbling, sobering. Now, here's the thing. I don't know what you guys think about this, but I think that somehow, some way that comes out. If you're just really an angry guy and you're letting people have a piece of your mind and you're trying to be a big shot and tell everybody what truth is and what the Bible says, people get that and they sense that you really don't care about them. But you're just telling what you think. You're giving them a piece of your mind. But I do think that people have certain sensitivities where they can sense when you're speaking something even as pointed and painful as it might be, but because you actually care about them and you have a love in your heart for them. It comes out some way. You don't have to say, I really love you, but I think you're all jerks. You don't do it that way. You, you, actually, you actually speak the truth as painful as it might be, but, but it, I think that somehow it comes out if it's coming from a place of, of caring for the flock, which the Lord has made you an overseer. Does that make sense? That transfers from home to, to the school, to, to work, to wherever you are, wherever you're leading. So courage, but with compassion is kind of the idea. So consistency, courage with compassion. Also, um, a good leader knows his context, the context. Uh, a leader observes the environment he's serving and you, know, you might lead differently in one place than the other. Um, you might lead, for example, you know, at work, if you're a contractor and got a, you're running a job site and you got workers that are just, you know, a little rough around the edges, your leadership will look different than when you get home and lead your children that are in preschool. It should look different, dad. Um, some of you guys go home and there's no, there's no difference, you know? You're, you're bossing out orders at work and then you come home and boss out orders with your kids and, and God forbid you're doing that with your wife. Um, because uh, your wife deserves a whole nother level of love and kindness and gentleness, uh, being the gentle leader of your, of your home. That's, that's such a huge thing. Um, too many guys miss this, and they don't know how to turn that off. By the way, here's a trick for you, just real practical. Make sure to shift gears when you, when you uh, change leadership roles. So if you're a leader at work, or you know, maybe you're into you know, uh, mortgages or financial world, and you talk to people on the phone, and you got a million things going on, and you know, you're a salesman or you're doing this or that, um, that's a mode, but be careful not to bring that mode home to your wife. If you treat your wife like you treat everybody else on the phone when you're making deals and stuff, she's gonna think you're a jerk. You know, just a heads up on that. Um, you come home and you shift gears. I, I, I wish I could have videotaped my father. Because like I said last time, when my dad would lead on the construction site, man, everybody kind of snapped too. And, you know, in fact, I remember my dad, because he had these certain nail bags that he'd wear that you could hear them jingle as he would come. And guys would be working. But man, when you heard the jingle come, it's like, oh, work really hard. You know, it's like, guys got real busy real fast, you know. And, uh, and, and in some ways, you know, that was the way my dad, He, he you know, he kind of carried a big stick at work. But then when he would come home and talk to my mom, you know, my, my, my mom looked like little Barbara Eden. I dream a genie, you know, and just this tiny little thing. And, and my dad would come home and just treat her with the most kind, it was like massive shift of gear. And speak to her with kind words and compassion. And he'd sit down and, and listen to what she had to say. And it was like a whole nother deal. And uh, my dad actually taught me how to do that. You shift gears. And, and sometimes some of you guys need to pull the truck over on the side of the road before you get home. Somewhere where you have a, a moment to stop, take a deep breath, pray, and say, Lord, give me the ability to lead tonight. As I walk in the door, may I take on your role that you would have me to take on. Like, like really Pause. Um, I use that time, by the way. I pull over. Uh, some people once in a while will say, hey, Brad, I saw you on the side of the road the other day. What were you doing? Well, I was probably talking on the phone with somebody. My truck's in my office, really. And, uh, but, but if I'm near my house and I'm pulled over on the side of the road, it's probably because I'm praying about just making sure my attitude's right. When my kids were little, I would pull over, open up my Bible, and kind of in my mind think through, what am I going to do for family devotions tonight? I, I wanna have a good story to tell them. I wanna share an Old Testament story, and I'll refresh. You know, you can read an Old Testament story in five minutes, kind of brush up on the names and the places and the times, and then, and then you get home and you can, you can say, kids, tonight at dinner table, we're gonna tell you a story, and, and you start family devotions, because you did your work in the truck on the side of the road. Just a freebie for you, but it helps with that changing of gears. Know who you're leading and when you're leading, because the Lord might have you multitasking your wife, your kids, your employees, your co-workers, the church. You're going to lead in different ways. It's good to be able to uh, switch gears. One more, concentrating. So you got courage, context, consistency, but courage is also with compassion. And then you've got concentration. And that is just to keep the C's going. But concentrate, here's, here's what I want to leave you guys with on this issue of leadership. Concentrate on keeping the main thing the main thing. And the main thing is Jesus. It's so easy to be derailed as a leader, whether you're a father, a husband, uh, you know, a boss, a leader in the church, it's so easy to be derailed by the distractions of this world. And you gotta kinda focus, I'd say concentrate on, Lord, am I doing the right thing? Am I going the right direction? You know, we can be distracted by movements and other leaders who have great stories that they want to tell you, or methods that they say are better than the ones you're using, um, or fads that come and go. You know, true leaders are not going to be easily pulled off course, because you're, you're, if you're a leader, you have vision. You know, this is where I want to go. This is what I want to do, and I don't want to be taken off that path. And you guys with young kids, I got to tell you, this is, the tr- this is a tough one, because um, your kids grow up super fast. I know I'm the old guy now and saying, oh, you guys, your kids are gonna grow up so, they're gonna be, you know, growing like weeds and all that stuff, but it's true. Your kids are gonna grow up right out from under you, and you're gonna wish, as I do, that you spent even more time than you did teaching, training, devoting time, family devotions, you know, sharing, taking time. You know, um, you're, you're not gonna regret keeping on track with, with leading your families. The, the, the sphere of influence that you have for sure if you have kids, that's something you gotta stay game on and don't let it slip. We have some older brothers in here and I bet all the older brothers who have kids say, yep, yeah, could have done better. Billy Graham, his biggest regret, they've asked him that. What was his biggest regret in all the years of ministry? And he said that I would have spent more time caring for my family. Um, it's just always the same thing. So you've got this little window of time, you know, 18 years that comes and goes really fast that you fathers um, can have a, a you know, great influence on your kids. But don't be distracted with stupid stuff. You know, if, if, you, if you are a father and you like playing golf, um, get your kids to play golf so that you can make something good out of it. I haven't ridden my dirt bike, honestly, in the last two and a half years. Um, why? Uh, i 'll just be honest with you, um, you know uh, it was a really cool thing to do with the church, but but honestly, I think I enjoyed riding dirt bikes with Joey, my son, more than any part of it. We got to hang out together, we got to drive in the truck up to the track we 'd sit on the tailgate, and after you know banging handlebars on the track we 'd sit down and just talk about stuff and even get in the word like that was a really good time. I was able to take something fun like motocross, and just use it. Uh, for a purpose that was greater than just going out and have a good time. A lot of brothers will go out and just have a good time because they need time away from their families and from their wives. I'm not sure that's a good leadership quality. Yeah, but predict needs to have a good time. Really? Is that true? It's funny how Jesus talked about work. He said, Are there not 12 hours in a day? And Jesus teaches us that there's seven days in a week, six days you're to work. And on the seventh day, you're to rest. The, the whole weekend thing and time away and us doing all of our fun hobbies and stuff, that's a, that is a new thing. That's a creation of modern stuff. I wonder what would happen if men at Athey Creek said, I'm gonna be, brother, are you saying I have to work 12 hours a day, six days a week? No, but I am saying that that, that should be when you're game on. You're, you're doing what God has called you to do, whether it's at being at work or leading your home, devoting time to your family, Uh, pouring into your kids, doing whatever leadership roles God's got for you. Jesus said, there's 12 hours in a day. We check out, we clock out, we think we deserve a break and that we should all go and do this. I'm just saying, the time you're on the golf course, when you have little kids at home, if if that's something you do a ton of, there's gonna be a day. I'm just gonna tell you, because I love you. You're gonna wish you maybe didn't spend so much time on the golf course. And you could have spent more time with your kids. Um, and pouring into them, pouring into your wives. Uh, I'm just going to say it. Uh, But, you know, being apart from your wife, if you get good at that, that's not a leadership role. That's you bailing out of your leadership uh, responsibilities as a husband. Um, I see couples that get really good at living separate lives. Um, And that's a dangerous thing. If you're doing that, you're playing with fire. Um, Bible says you're not supposed to be apart from your wife even sexually or physically for any length of time unless for an agreed short period. It's a short period there in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. For a short period of time, you can be away. But I know husbands and wives, are just looking for excuses to be apart with their hobbies and with their vacations and stuff like that. Um, If that's you, time to repent and love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave up golf for it. Okay, it doesn't say that. It does say he gave his whole life for it. Again, I'm not against motocross or golf or you know uh, boating or anything. I love how some of you guys use some of those things. You know, the, the the boaters in our church. How it's it's a family thing where you're getting together with your kids and family. It's more about that than it is about the boating. Like the funeral I did. I, if it's fishing, I hope it's more about how you can use fishing to somehow further the kingdom in the area of leadership God's put you in. Um. That's what you need to be searching for. Lord, what have you put on my table to be a leader in? That's your assignment. Between now and your next time, that's your assignment, is I want you to maybe even jot it down in in a notebook or something, say here's the area of responsibility God has put under my care. I am supposed to be a leader in, and then fill in those blanks as a husband, father, and then fill in those details, what God wants you to do. Because without vision, if you don't know where you're going, then nobody's gonna follow you. But if you know what you're doing, what you're called to lead, and, and, and then you put your face like flint to that, then, then people will follow you. It's amazing how a guy who just makes up his mind to lead, how many people will be willing to follow. Just the way it works. Uh, before we pray, Any questions or thoughts before we close that you guys want to throw out or throw up uh, (laughs) uh, before we leave uh, or um, about any of this stuff we've been talking about the last couple weeks as far as leadership and... Larry. Hey, so uh, some of us older folks here, we got grandkids and my kids are 30 years old. Do you have any additional input for the older set? Man, I can't wait to be a grandpa someday because... I'm gonna be a better grandpa than I was a dad. Like, that's my goal, I really want to do that. And, and I wanna be, yeah, Joey, where's, where's, where's my grandkids, man? Dude, yeah, okay, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, uh, yeah. But, uh, I, Larry, I think that's a great question because, um, you know, my, my, my parents, my mom and dad, um, whenever we would go over to their house with the kids little, even to this day, Joey can attest to this, Every time we'd go over to their house, Grandpa Todd would have something to share from the Lord, from the Word, and he'd always circle us up and pray. Like Grandpa Todd was Pastor Grandpa Todd. Is that fair to say, Joey? Um, And it's because he viewed his grandfatherly role, in some ways even, like, I, I, I remember seeing my dad lead as a grandfather, thinking, man, I wish you did that like that when I was a kid. Like he's better now than he was then because he's got some experience and some skills. And so I, I think that's a great question. I think grandfathers, what a great opportunity to lead ki- grandkids. And you're not ultimately responsible for spanking them and all that stuff. So it's, it's a win-win. Uh, it's nothing but just fun. I can't wait for grandpa uh, days. So yeah, I think, I think that's, that's a key. Someone else, right back here. Uh, pastor could you go a little bit on um, the uh, you were talking a bit about lonely at the top uh, in, in your position you're obviously the head of this church and you have a vision where this is going and maybe that everybody doesn't and sometimes you end up feeling very lonely and very by yourself because you are the only leader yeah uh, that's a good question for me it's it might be different in, in everybody's different roles and stuff for me I um, it's a funny thing because uh, Athey Creek, here's the thing, I, I can't be buddies with everybody I wanna be buddies with. Uh, like I'd hang out with you any day of the week because we, we could talk for hours about stuff, you know what I mean? And we do once in a while. <laughs> you know, we can, we could do that. And um and the thing is, uh but in my role, you know, uh, we have like 4000 people go to the church and the, the more the Lord's put me in a role of leadership here, it's it's funny because I just there's there's just no time to really have people that just other than my wife Debbie. She is my best friend. She's the one I spend time with, but um it's funny. It was so much easier to hang with my bros when Athey Creek was, you know, 30 people big. That was easier. And, um, and then also, also, um, this is the, 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 maybe the more hurtful part of this. Um, the more you teach the truth and lead, there's going to be a bunch of people who eventually will not like you for what you're leading in. And um, it's been hard, honestly. Uh, the, one of the harder things I've had to deal with is guys that were once plugged into Athey, and because you were willing to lead and speak the truth and share the word, there's a point where they just said, shine you, Pastor Brett, we're out of here. And, uh, and it's, that's hurtful. Um, but, but I see that um, not not giving myself any credit other than I, I, I'm encouraged to see that Jesus had the same problem. It's like the more he spoke the truth, the more his disciples Left him. Remember when Jesus talked about, you know, when you eat my body and drink my blood? Like a bunch of the disciples, all the greater of a hundred disciples, they all left him, and he was left with the twelve. And then once the Romans came, then they all left except for Peter. And you know, it's like the more you do what God calls you to do, sometimes there's an isolation that happens there, and you see that in Jeremiah as well. So, I guess what I'm saying is, don't think that if I'm going to be a great leader, then I'm going to have a bunch of people follow me, and it's going to be this great big group of kumbaya. It doesn't really work that way. I, I know there's a lot of pastors that probably think that that's what I have here at Athey Creek, that I've got just a huge group of people that just love me and it's not the way it is, it doesn't work that way. I, I, I know there's people that love me and are nice to me, but I get a lot more hate mail and people that hate me and it just feels a little like, wow, I'm kind of on my own on some of this stuff. Don't get me wrong, I've got elders and pastors and guys that support me, but even my elders and pastors, I'd love to hang with those guys but we don't. The only time I hang with the elders is when we're busy elding and leading, you know, pastoring and stuff like that. So that's kind of what I meant by that. Does that make sense? It's a good, good question. One more, and then we'll pack it up. Uh, you had your hand up first way back there. Yeah. Well, that's a great question. So, um, so, and men—we're not always great at expressing love. You know, have you ever, have you ever read the love language? Uh, you know, the books. Uh, who is it that wrote that about the love language? Everybody expresses love in a different way, but, but I always love to lean on the Bible when it comes to stuff like this. You know, because the Bible talks in 1 Corinthians, uh, chapter thirteen, not as, as much about what love is, but it shows us what love does. You know, love is patient, love is kind, does not seek its own, is not, you know, um, you know it, it's like this perfect, uh, this perfect uh, description of what love does. And then when you look at Jesus, who is love, the embodiment of love, I think we see the perfect balance of what love is. And so I think if, you wanna be, if we want to be loving men, we learn to be more and more like Christ. There is an interesting study of the Greek word love um, because we, in our English language, are clumsy with the word love. We say, I love my wife, Debbie. But I can say also, I love hot fudge sundaes. Uh, But it's all the same clumsy word, right? But in the Greek, there's four different words that talk about the word love. And one is more of a erotic, you know, eros love, erotic sexual love. One is more of a brotherly love. Hey, bro, I love you, man. You know, philo. Um, there's, there's, a, but the one that's the one that's really interesting to study in the Greek word is agape, which is um, a. It's sort of a perfect, godly, unconditional kind of love that is worth studying. And and um, I think it kind of addresses that question. The definition of love is perhaps best articulated in the Greek language. And then when you read your Bible and see the word love, it's really rewarding to see which one of those words love. You know. Uh, uh, is, it, is, it, is it eros, is it phileo, is it agape? And to see how it's used in the Bible. Um, we did a study on that, if you're interested, uh, uh, on the, uh, the four loves of the Greek language somewhere on our website. Uh, you can look that up maybe, but, but um, it's a great question because if we are asking that question, how can I be a more loving man? That's, you're always gonna be a better man for that, to, to learn how to love in a Christ-like kind of love, so good stuff one more I yeah you know Eric's right. home groups is a way to kind of make things smaller, have a little more intimate friendship and relatability. I agree with that and um, and i I'm, I'm not trying to make people feel sorry for me because i'm I'm kind of a loner anyway, believe it or not I, I really am uh, I would be happy with just me and deb uh, you know uh, just hanging out by ourselves it's, so it's not like but but if you are looking for that it's it's there to be found um, and that's in home fellowships and with that. That's one of the areas I wonder if some of you guys need to step up in, and now here's the thing that's tricky is the, the, the leadership of a home group requires you to fit in, I'm just gonna say it, into our mold of what a home group's supposed to look like. Um, the reason we've done that is we used to just let people do home groups, kind of it was real loose years and years ago, but about half the home groups were really amazing, the other half groups were almost like demonic. <laughs> okay, maybe an overstatement. Um, the other half of the home groups were ones that I would never go to. They were just kind of weird and felt funny. So, so what we've done is we've made it so if you do a home group, you have to kind of go with what we've said. Now, now if you want to do a Bible study or do something else, great, and there's tons of people who do. But if you're gonna do what's called an Athe Creek Home Fellowship, there's kind of a, a, a list of things we, we want you to do and, and to know that if, if somebody shows up, here's what they can expect at your house or at the group house where you're meeting. And and so it's not going to freak anybody out. I would love if some of you guys would say, I'm going to step up to that. Because almost all of our home fellowships are packed to the gills. So if you go on our website and you go, which one should I go to? Most of them have the word full across because there's no more room for people. And we only have like, I don't know, 26, 27 home groups in a church of 4,000. We're not even shooting elephants with a BB gun with that. You know what I mean? We need, to, we need to up the caliber just a little bit and get like maybe 30 more home groups. And, uh, and what that looks like is you and one other brother, because it's always two by two, to say, let's lead a home fellowship. And we're, we're going to be willing, even if we, ha- we hate it, we're going to follow Athey Creek's protocol of what a home group looks like and just be willing to do that. And, um, and, and then uh, you'll meet with Pastor Mike and if he feels a piece about, you know, the direction you're going with it and if everything fits and lines up, um, great. If you're brand new at Athey Creek and you've, know, you've been here for a week and you don't really know what Athey Creek's about, then you may not be a leader of a home group yet because we'd like you to kind of get the vibe and the flavor and that kind of stuff. But I'd love to see some of you lead in that way. That, that's a huge need, I think, in the church. Small groups uh, are great. Well, let's all stand together. Well, Lord, we're thankful, again, just the, what your word says about men leading, Lord. And um, we see so many good models of what to do and even models of what not to do. Uh, but I pray that we'd be men of your word and that we'd be challenged by your word to, to do what you've called us to do, Lord. I pray that, that you'd give us, when, when our spirit is willing but our flesh becomes weak, that you'd give us strength to be the men that you've called us to be. Lord, I pray that we would um, be able to rightly uh, set our lives in a place where we really are positioned to lovingly, with compassionate, lead our families, lead the groups of people you've put us in, in, in charge of. Lord, for those who haven't found an area where they're to lead, Lord, I pray that you'd start to just organize their lives and orchestrate the events to bring them to that place of leadership, Lord. Um, Lord, you tell us that you have not chosen me, but I have chosen you and have ordained you. So Lord, I pray for my brothers in this room that we would see ourselves as ordained ministers, servants for your, uh, for your leadership roles that you have for us. So give us strength. Lord, build in these qualities, we pray. In this we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Hey, God bless you guys. We'll see you in a month from now. You're dismissed.